Before we get to today's show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Veracross. With a single record database and the strongest API in the industry, Veracross is the leading SIS provider for private and independent schools, and it's now available in Australia. Support us by supporting them, so visit veracross.com backslash edleaders to learn more. Now let's get to today's show. Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Kelly, and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. Before we get started, if you haven't already, you should sign up to the weekly email sent out by the team at Ed Leaders. Now, Matt, what should you expect in the email if they sign up? Well, you should expect a regular newsletter. It's informative. Uh, it's different to anything else that's out there. You must sign up. Uh, do it today. Excellent. You can sign up to the newsletter at edleaders.com.au. Now, on to today's guest, which is Grant Vanderkruck. Grant has been with the team at Schoolbox over the last five years, and prior to that was in a role at Fernware across Australia and Asia. So, without further ado, let's get to it. Grant, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, guys. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller, so uh, really great to be with you today. <laughs> now, um, you know, in, in, recent, in, in recent news, uh, you've um, been promoted into the CEO role, but um, I just wanted to share a little story, that uh, my own personal story. As, as the listeners would know, I've had a long-term connection to Schoolbox, and I'll say off the top that this is... This interview is not part of a Schoolbox partnership in any way, shape, or form. But I remember sitting in the MCG five or six years ago, Grant, and uh, watching you on stage. Uh, I think you might have been uh, you were emceeing a panel, or might have even been closing out the event. And I leant over to my colleague Megan Blackman and I said, "Well, there's the future CEO of uh, Schoolbox right there." I think, and uh, here we are five or six years later, talking to you as the CEO of Schoolbox. Uh, so uh, talk to us a little bit about that journey uh, with Schoolbox and then potentially how you became, you know, into the education sector and your background. Yeah, thanks. Well, that's a great story. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. Um, uh, yeah, I've had I've had a, um, a, a quite a journey and I guess um, what I love about listening to your podcast is hearing about people's journeys. It, it really motivates me and, and really, really interests me. I guess my my professional journey sort of started when I was about 24, uh, when I came to the uh, conclusion that my professional sports career uh, wouldn't eventuate. Uh, I know 24 is pretty late to to come to that conclusion, but um, you know, 20 years ago it wasn't as uh, uh, you know. Um, you sort of come to that conclusion when you're 16 now, so, or maybe I was just a a, a late uh, late bloomer in that sense, but. I guess I realised I had to get a, a, a real job at that stage. And um, so I, I went into the first thing that I uh, could find and I went into sort of a customer service role. And I think it's really important to mention right now at the top, uh, and I've heard many of your guests on the program who believe they have, uh, you know, imposter syndrome. And I think I really quite, uh, I quite uh, uh, rate highly up on that. I, I was certainly not a studious person. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm the furthest from a, an academic that you can probably get. Uh, I was the jock. Uh, my twin brother was the ducks. Uh, and so it's quite, uh, quite ironic that I've spent the last 15 years supporting the education uh, industry, possibly through, you know, a bit of guilt after what I put my teachers through. Uh, so maybe there's a bit of karma in there. 
but we sort of fast forward about, uh, you know, I was about 27, I think, when I first um, earned my first leadership position uh, as a state manager uh, in a construction supply uh, business, believe it or not. And I think it was really there where I first realised that, you know, my, my leadership in sport had some real transferable elements to it in, in other parts of life. And I use sporting analogies all the time. Uh, and particularly in education or particularly in a, a tech business, it doesn't always go down well because uh, not everyone's uh, as much into sport as I am. Um, and then I guess fast forward two years later, um, I thought I landed the best job that I could ever have. And uh, I was the national manager for an Australian seating company uh, who supplied you know, venues such as MCG, uh, all of the, you know, the Docklands and the uh, Melbourne Park stadiums, Wimbledon, Olympic stadiums around the world, Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, all the cinemas, uh, major cinema change, chains. And I guess with my sporting background, you think all my dreams had come true. Uh, and particularly when it comes to, a, you know, a poker night with the, with the guys and, you know, what are you doing now, Grant? And you sort of talk about, well, yeah, I'm working on a contract here and contract there. You know, that was quite, it was quite a sexy role on, uh, you know, externally, but, you know, it, it just, you know, something was really missing. It wasn't filling uh, filling my boots at all. Uh, and so, you know, a couple of years after after sort of doing that job, I was just searching for something else that perhaps would satisfy me. Uh, and then, you know, soon after that, I accepted a role to start the Australian arm of a of a New Zealand furniture and learning space design company uh, that you mentioned earlier called Fernware. And I guess, you know, many of your listeners will be familiar with that with that business uh, and the journey that's been on. And uh, I guess it was during the early years of that journey that uh, I really found what I was looking for. Um, it wasn't really, you know, a title. It wasn't really a, a, a something that I could sort of boast about uh, or have a, 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 an ego about. Uh, I was looking for, you know, what I found, what I was looking for. It was, you know, a contribution to a greater uh, a greater purpose and a higher purpose. And the education industry is like no other that I've been exposed to where, you know, there, there are genuine opportunity to serve and support educators who are guiding our young people uh, is really a simply, is simply an incredible opportunity to be a part of. Uh, and so, you know, that Australian business grew really, uh, really rapidly over the first sort of four years where we sort of gained 15% of the market share. And as the team grew, I spent more of my time in, in places like Singapore uh, and Hong Kong. Educators are wonderful for, you know, when they like something, they take you with them. Uh, and so they were taking us into different parts of the world, South Africa uh, and other places. So I had the opportunity to, to do a lot of travel and, and understand what those markets were, were like. And then, you know, my first child was born in Singapore a couple of years later uh, after moving there. And, and after a few years after that, you know, business was growing sustainably. Uh, and my wife and I decided to head home uh, and to be close to the family. Uh, and that's when I first really learned about the opportunity to, to join Schoolbox. Uh, and so my initial role was the director of sales, marketing, customer experience. And, you know, 18 months after that, promoted to the general manager role. And what's interesting about your journey, um, you know, as you sort of ended up where you are now at Schoolbox, is is that that real desire or that feeling that that um, being part of something bigger than yourself is really really important. And it's also really interesting that a lot of your roles have been outward facing with customers, that with with people. You know, how important is that sort of people centred uh, experience for you uh, as a leader? 
companies, life, it's all about people. It really is. And, you know, I've got a real strong belief, particularly in the education sector, that, um, you know, you have to have a genuine desire to support schools and a genuine desire to have a partnership approach. Uh, and, you know, whether it's whether it's working externally with with customers or partners or or your local cafe, uh, people running the cafe or the people in your business, you know, we're still, you know, we're human beings and we're all about people. And as, you know, AI and other technology takes over parts of what we do in life and, and in work, you know, it, it, in my mind, it, it, it focuses even more on people uh, and what people can bring and, and what people, uh, you know, the relationships that you create and set up. You talked earlier about your first leadership role, I think you said at 27. Yeah. Was there something kind of in that uh, in those early years of your career that stood out to you about leadership and, you know, why you wanted to take on those types of roles? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and you know, when I sort of talk to a lot of our staff here who want to be leaders and who want to be managers, it's it's... I asked a lot of questions about what the motivations were because from my story, I certainly wasn't chasing it at all. Uh, and it was more of a realisation um, that was a natural, uh, it was natural and instinctive within me. Uh, and I think I first came to realisation, uh, I was seven months into my first real sales role. Uh, and uh, my manager at the time had resigned. Uh, and so I just started to organise and coach my my teammates uh, and as you would do just iteratively on a sporting field uh, and in training and and you know I soon found out that the years previous to that was a revolving door of staff leaving uh, the business and and you know it became obvious to me that the owner and the managing director of the company I was working for was causing this and you know I did what I thought was sort of most natural and instinctive uh, and sat him down and respectfully pointed this out. And, you know, looking back now, that is, was obviously a huge risk to my employment at that business. Uh, uh, but at the time, I didn't feel feel that at all. I just felt it was the right thing to do and the necessary thing to do for for me and for my teammates. And I guess standing up, you know, and, you know, not only did he respect me for standing up to him and standing up for his staff, he uh, he immediately promoted me into the state manager after after that sort of seven months. And so, uh, I guess I think that was the first realization that that was just something that was a part of me and 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 yeah, an opportunity to you know I'm grateful for the opportunity, um, even though it came out of left field to exercise that um, uh, helped me realize that. I think that's such a great story about. Um, providing authentic feedback uh, around managing up um, and being brave to sort of, you know, move into that space. Um, because often, you know, you're sitting at the top of the tree and your people aren't giving you that. They're not talking to you. Um, and so, that you know, that's really, you know, that, that idea of using your own instincts but also, you know, wanting the company to go forward and providing that is, is something that I think maybe younger leaders don't feel as confident in. I wonder um, if we were to sort of, you know, go a little bit deeper into that concept of the type of leader you are. How do you think people would describe your leadership style? Um, how, how do they describe me? How do I describe myself? Um, probably a mix of both, a, a mix of two areas, a healthy mix of sort of a transformational leader. Um, I seem to find that every business I step into, I, I notice things very quickly and I can't unsee them and, and I have to do something about it in terms of improvement or, or structure or whatever it is. Um, 
it's definitely a, a, sort of a, a is it a skill set or a curse or something um, that uh, that I have um, <laughs> that I can't uh, not do anything about it. Um, but I guess the core of me um, is a servant leader, and um, you know I'm I'm you know I, I really relish the opportunity to uh, collaborate, make decisions, set direction. Um, but you know, and then the other half of me is. Um, asking what I can do to help um, the team um, be successful. So really love helping people and, and perhaps sometimes too much uh, and sometimes I need to stay out of things, uh, but I'm really there to uh, to really help serve. And maybe that's why I fell into initial role of a customer service role because I, I really just, you know, uh, enjoy that aspect. I think I get that from my parents, my Mum was a nurse, and my my father was a, a motor mechanic, but you know, and a terrible businessman because he would just continue to do things for his customers that that uh, unnoticed, unpaid, and and I think just that influence of in growing up um, um, really shaped that part of me. And you talk there, I guess, um, about that notion of the transformational leader and kind of seeing changes that may need to be made. And I guess that's very, um, you know, it's very much about the internal mechanics potentially or the operations of a business, which, you know, in a schooling context is a lot about what a deputy often does, uh, a deputy head or a deputy principal. Um, and then that shift from being the deputy where it's about the operations to uh, the principal or in your case, a CEO role, which becomes a lot more about, you know, you talk there about setting direction um, and also being kind of like that that outwardly facing role. Um, I'm wondering if you, you know, can talk to us about, you know, where you think your role might go in the, in the next few years in terms of mo- moving, moving the needle between those two roles. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good analogy, actually. Thanks for that. Um, I, I've, I've played both parts. So, you know, obviously with the Fernware business, I was the sort of face of the business for many years. Uh, and um, when it comes to Schoolbox, I'm, I, I, we've got plenty of those uh, in the business. And so uh, being the architect in the background, I've really relished that opportunity and, and um uh, able to focus on sort of rebuilding the business. Uh, and, you know, strategy has been a, b- a big part of uh, what I've been, um, uh, what I've been about in the last four years, and and I guess I see that just going to a, uh, growing to a higher level, more overarching strategies to take the business through that next our next growth phase, uh, but then allowing and empowering uh, the, the the leaders, the leadership team of the business to to um, to take on the role that I have been. Um, I have been doing over the last four years as a team, um, and you know. In terms of that outwardly, um, yeah, fifty percent of my role will, will be will become more an outwardly um, focused role uh, as I sort of transition to be the the known leader face of of the business. Um, and the areas that I'll sort of be concentrating mostly on is 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 that growth phase and and you know expanding our footprint internationally and particularly uh, Asia uh, and Middle East. Uh, and you know those strategies, you know, have a lot more risk to them, uh, and uh, and so I'll need to be very close to that. Um, but I guess you know when, when we talk about the, you know the outwardly facing role, um, to a degree, I mean that's that's really important, and I'll play a role. I'll play the role that the business needs me to needs me to play. Uh, but you know I think it's really really important to point out that. Um, 
the face of the business is is the many people that we have in the company in schools every day. Uh, they're the faces of the business. They're the true faces of the business and the true um, brand, if you want to call uh, the business. Here we have brand identity. We have our, our our brand product and 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 those sort of things. But you know what's unique about Schoolbox is certainly the um, is certainly the brand of who we are and and how we. Um, um, how we represent our company, and I will do that in a in a particular way. But um, it's really the small army that we have that are working with our schools and supporting the schools every day that really become the um, the, the key brand, if you want to call it that. And what's interesting about your, your sort of comments there about the sort of transition? I love that idea that you know you've been working in the engine room and being that architect, you know, operationally and strategically, and now you've got that sort of empowerment piece to to move forward and kind of of lead, um, you know lead the company um what i'm also interested in is as part of that transition what do you think you might need to do intentionally different with with i guess clients and your staff as you move into that new role is there anything you've sort of thought about that you you need to intentionally do differently yeah most definitely and there's there's some things that i've been wanting to do for quite some time and i just haven't been able to sort of find the time um in that outwardly sort of uh, a part to the role you know We've got lots to learn as a business uh, and um, we want to continually learn. I'll be spending lots of times with edtech providers and other other companies that have gone before us that have scaled and that have gone through the challenges that we're about to face and to be able to take learnings from from how they've gone about it, what what were the key elements, what they've you know, what mistakes they've made, how they've been structured, how they've uh, moved to where they are is, is a critical part to bringing that back into the business for us to reflect on and 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 to learn from uh so that's a that will be a key part to it and if you're continuing continuing to empower the team that we have with you know part of the, the last four years um was was very deliberate in bringing talent into the business that um, have very different experiences and very different um, skill sets to help inform our business and, and help us move forward. You know, having that fresh um, that fresh lens, uh, whether it's internally or externally, is absolutely critical to businesses and absolutely critical to any organisation that wants to grow. You know, we've, you know our, our founders started the business 22 years ago, believe it or not, uh, and it's only been sort of in the last 12 years that Schoolbox has been developing in the, in the way that we have and, and um, you know, we, we've learnt a lot but we still need to learn a lot more about um, about being that, moving from that small small company to that medium enterprise into the much, much bigger, much bigger business. So, um, yeah, bringing those learnings into the businesses will be a very key part of of. What, I'm, what I'll be doing, but also positioning and, uh, if you want to call it, selling the company um, um, externally, um, even outside of our industry, to you know potential uh, partners, uh, potential investors, uh, uh, and other industry uh, bodies, I guess, uh, of influence. I want to go back to a point that you made in um, in your in your last answer around kind of a little bit about risk and reward. You talked about the, you know, your movement into to the Asian market and the Middle East, and you know, there's obviously, a, you know, a significant risk in doing that for a business in new markets and the amount of time and resources and capital that that takes. You know, often, especially in independent schools, 
you know, you often hear discussions around how could how can a school diversify its business model, and that's quite difficult in a very uh, conservative, um, in many in many ways, conservative business models of schools where it's no, no, no. We've done this for the last fifty years, or the last seventy, or the last hundred and twenty years. We get one hundred and twenty kids every in every year. We lose one hundred and twenty kids every year, and kind of that notion of how do we take that risk, knowing that it may not be what our core business is, you know, in a way right now, but we can have, you know, a diversification of our revenue streams, you know, to de-risk, you know, the overall organisation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, at the fundamental, you have to be uh, financially uh, healthy uh, and have a business that is ready to support that. And I guess that's what I've, um, one of the big, you know, the focuses over the last three years is to get us into that position, which um, I'm really grateful that we are. Um, I guess you have to get back in startup mode, don't you? Um, you know, the, 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 you can't steer a ship if it's not moving forward and, and you can do as much research as you can as possible, right? But you need to take those first steps. You need to take those risks. You need to, uh, you need to take those initial steps to, to move forward, right? Um, if you think about starting your own business, guys, uh, as ed leaders, you know, what was, you know, what was the balance between researching and, and asking people whether this was a good idea to just let's just get together and I think as, as you guys call it, you got together in a, in, a, in a closet and just started to record stuff, right? We have to take that mentality again, right? But uh, but also be be ready to learn again, not knowing, not not thinking that you know we know the landscape of the private independent sector in Australia exceptionally well. Um, take those learnings uh, into new markets, but be very very ready to listen uh, and be ready to uh, to evolve your business, your platform into a different. Um, uh, a different offering that's going to be relevant in other markets. So it's about, you know, that word agile. Um, but also, but we, we, you know, when we when we recruit in our uh, in our job ads, we still say that we are, uh, you know, we're a very established business, but we still got we still have a, a, a startup mentality and mindset. And I think you have to have that as any organisation if you want to. Uh, if you recognise you have to evolve, that you have to grow and you have to be open, you, you always have to have that mentality to be able to uh, and take those risks. And what's interesting about what you're sort of saying is, is I guess, some of the underpinnings to successful business model, but also a, a philosophy and approach. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious around that notion of, of um, you know, having to be a startup again. What other sort of foundational elements do you think need to be part of, uh, I guess, a business to, to drive success, both sort of internally and, and externally? Well, there's, that's, uh, there's many answers to that question, I think, Matt. Um, many fundamental. I mean, again, you know, I'll go back to it might be, you know, say, right, sound like a broken record, but it's the people that you have in, the, in, in, your, in, your, in your business, uh, the people you have as partners, the people you have around you that, that can influence that. You know, the first thing that I've learned as a leader is that it's not about me uh, and, it's, and it's about how I can develop and bring in people to work in a team environment that is going to create that success uh, and you know as I mentioned earlier when you when people think I want to be a manager I want to be a leader their understanding of what that is and the reality of what it is uh, uh, you know uh, poles apart right uh, as you as you both 
um, can attest to. Uh, and I guess you've got to just continue to, uh, to let go. Uh, you've got to continue to, uh, to allow people to take ownership and make mistakes. Uh, and that's really easy to say. That's really easy to put in a meme uh, and put it on LinkedIn. Um, uh, it's really difficult to do that in practice in a number of ways. Um, you know, the, the three founders have basically handed over their life savings and their, 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 their whole professional career to me to manage and, and, you know, that's a huge responsibility. But when you look at it, it's, it's amazing that they have done that and, and that they trust me to, to lead that business. Now, I don't know if I could ever do that. that. That's just an amazing thing to do. But for me to do that well, I need to then on, uh, I guess, on pass that on to, to a team uh, and teams of, of talented people to make that to make that happen, obviously with guidance and obviously with many other things, of, of course. But uh, the key element there is team and the key element is great people uh, uh, to to bring us forward, um, and it will always come. It will always come to that. I, I believe. You've talked there about your team, and, and you know, a, l- a lot of people will describe that as having the right people on the bus. Um, and there's a lot that goes into getting the right people on the bus. And you know, there's often a strike rate that comes with getting the right people on the bus. And even though you think that you might have the right people on the bus, you know, three, six, nine months later, you're like, hang on a second. This person doesn't fit on that seat that well. Um, so I'm wondering if you can uh, talk to uh, you know your journey in terms of you know getting the right people on the bus. Whether there's any secret sauce uh, that you can share with other leaders about the process that you go through to to find people and, and to get those people, so that you make sure they're uh, on the bus and not under the bus as you're going forward. Yeah. You know, most of your most of your listeners will attest to the fact that the still the hardest thing in any organisation is bringing the right people in and and uh, and having uh, success with 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 recruitment and long term um, um, long term journeys in your business. I've I've done a lot of recruitment over the years. I would you know well into the hundreds of bringing people on board, and I guess. Firstly, you need to understand the values of your company. And I think that is fundamental to who you bring into the business. You know, I've always, you know, there's, there's lots of belief systems out there, but I always believe that you know, hiring over apt, aptitude over, uh, sorry, attitude over aptitude is still uh, a, a key element to that. Um, but, you know, at, at the core of it, if, if you don't believe, uh, if you don't believe a candidate fits the values of your business, forget about the skill set. Forget about the capability. Forget about the actual role that you're trying to fill. If they don't, if they don't fit your values, it's never going to work. Uh, and in fact, it's going to undermine lots of things that you're trying to do in the business. So that's for me. That's key value number one. And I think that's really, you know, it might sound silly, but for us at at Schoolbox, that's a really easy thing, because one of the key values for us is is that people understand and are really connected to our journey and what we're trying to do in the industry. If they're not, if they're, if we can easily see that they, they might be a superstar or they might be, you know, they're just really good at their role, but there's no connection to who we are during those, you know, those uh, processes of recruitment, it's an easy no for us. Um, even though we might miss out on some incredible talent, um, uh, a core part of what we do is uh, around values. Uh, 
in fact, you know, half half of our performance reviews uh, are based on values. So we have 50%, we rate people 50% on their core role and 50% on the values. Uh, and one of the, one of the best decisions I made um, a few years back was transforming the, the standard HR advisor role in our business, uh, which is you know, a reactive policy driven problem solving role. Um, I just wasn't satisfied with that. I thought we could do more. So I, I transformed it into a, a proactive uh, people and staff experience role where it was all about people and it's all about people's experience. And what we've done through that whole process, uh, through that role is, is, you know, as a company, we plot the customer journey and many schools do that as well. What is the journey that a customer goes through? Well, we think it's as important, if not more important, that we plot what the staff experience and what the staff journey should look like at Schoolbox. Uh, and we put uh, systems uh, uh, and uh, events and uh, things uh, and elements uh, in that design to ensure that we try to create the best experience for those uh, for those staff. So um, there's many, many uh, areas to that, I guess, but um, uh, when it comes to recruitment, um, Again, you trust. You can hear to trust your gut, right? You hear it all the time, and and part of the hardest thing is when you know someone's fantastic and they can kill, you know, be really good at the role, and you it, it might you might be quite desperate to fill that role because you, you, your strategies and your uh, and your uh, uh, your your strategic plans are uh, uh, dictated by filling that role. But deep down, you just know they're not the right person. Right then and there is the hardest decision that I think uh, recruiters and, and leaders will make, because that um, that can make or break uh, uh, many things in the business. And it's really hard. It's really hard to say no. We re- we do need that role and that person's a superstar, but they're just not the right person. Uh, and you know, gut gut I think is a, that gut feels very um, can be developed. For me, it's developed over 15, 15 17 years of recruiting. Um, but I think it's also a, 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 an innate skill. Our, one of our um, one of our uh, people and staff experience uh, coordinators uh, is a graduate. Uh, and her gut already about choosing people that fit our values into our business is already finely tuned, and it's absolutely amazing to hear uh, uh, her thoughts on potential candidates, um, which I, I, you know, I think is wonderful. Um, and even one of my latest recruit, uh, my latest recruit, the first time in my career, um, I hired an EA. I don't know why I didn't do that earlier, uh, and. And I was leaning down a different path and, and Jenny was saying, I really, there's something about this other lady, there's something about her. And, the, and, and you know, I, I took that advice and um, recruited, uh, recruited uh, Katrina and she's been absolutely phenomenal and it was the right thing. And so, you know, Trusting other people's guts. Um, from a recruitment perspective, we have, for the majority of our roles, we have at least three managers uh, involved in every recruitment process because we want to make sure that we've spread any risk. We've seen uh, everyone's uh, lens or, or perception is is included in that overall 
decision because we know it's really important to bring the right people in into a business. Uh, it take, it, you know, we invest a lot of time and money in people uh, and we want to make sure that um, we only bring those people that uh, reflect our values uh, uh, um, and the people that are going to be successful. What's fascinating about that is just, you know, just such that focus on values and how important that is in that recruitment process and, you know, sometimes that's intrinsic and I love that notion that sometimes it's an easy no, but you've also alluded to there's some really hard no's in there um, and some really, really tough decisions and uh, I'm interested in sort of taking that a little bit further and and just exploring within a business context, what are some some of the other really tough stuff um, that, that you, you sort of deal with and have to make decisions about basically to to ensure um, the business is successful and it's moving forward? Yeah, good question. I mean, there's lots of lots of tough things that you, you deal with, but, you know, people at the centre of what we do and who we are, uh, and so people issues and people problems are always the, the hardest to deal with, mainly because you want to get it right and you want to do the right thing all the time for everyone. Uh, when it comes to, I guess, our product, I guess the, the um, uh, disappointing people uh, is always the hardest uh, part when it comes to uh, our platform. Um, we, we have three major uh, releases each year and, you know, I can comfortably say we're the market leaders in the continual development of our platform and our service uh, for for our part of the market. Uh, and you know, when you when you do serve the market so much, you also create a lot of disappointment uh, and frustration. I've been part of a few businesses that uh, that try so hard to to please your your market and and serve your market that you might be in that ninety percent. Uh, mark of being perfect for, for every customer. Uh, and um, it's what's really interesting is that the expectations in that grow and the disappointment and frustrations are greater than if you were serving 70% of what people require or people want. People's expectations are very, very much different. If you don't mind me saying, Luke, you know, I've got a story about our first connection uh, where I travelled over to Uh-oh. Wesley we College go. and um, I was getting to know the market in the early days. And I remember sitting in uh, in in the room uh, for a couple of hours, but, you know, for the first hour, you know, I could sense from you, uh, you know, we really need this, we really want this. And and I could see your, your passion for 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 your school, your passion for what you're doing, but also the frustration and disappointment that you had in your voice that we weren't solving all the all the areas that you wanted to. Uh, and that still sticks with me because it is reflective of our market because we're so close to doing, you know, so much for our customers. Um, but after, I think, I think it was about an hour, Luke, you, you stopped and you took a breath and you said, but I love you guys. I love what you're doing. I love the conviction you have for education. I love that you have a, a, a strong, um, a, that strong conviction about an educational voice and to serve your market. That has stuck with me, Luke, for for uh, for the last four and a half years. Uh, and, you know, it absolutely reflects some of the hardest things that we have to deal with because, you know, we, we think we're, we invest so much into serving our customers and serving our community that when there's disappointment uh, that's really hard to deal with uh, and not just disappointment externally you know more than a quarter of our staff are teachers 
uh, and educators in many uh, departments of our uh, of our uh, business. And we have a really strong and robust process that we go through to make those decisions of what makes each release. And it, it, we have so many passionate people in our business that want to see this happen or want to see that happen that we can't do it all. And we end up disappointing so many people um, internally as well because uh, they're so invested in where we're going and so invested in uh, in making life so much easier for teachers uh, that um, we just can't do it all. So that sort of 90% rule also uh, uh, is reflective internally because we just can't we just can't please everyone and I, I think that's probably the one of the hardest things that we have to cope with uh, as a business i mean i think that's spot on and i think that that transfers over many kind of industries and into education as well that notion of that 90 percent of the time you're doing 90 percent of the things really really well but no one tells you about that you don't hear about it from your customers you know you don't necessarily hear about it from your parents as a, as a school leader um, you might get the occasional email from a really satisfied parent, you know, at the end of a journey or at the end of a year or, you know, a Christmas card or whatever, but they're pretty quick to tell you the 5% of things that they're not happy with. Um, and they're pretty happy to make that pretty loud as well. Um, but, it, and, and I think that's just the challenge, uh, you know, of, of doing business, isn't it? You know, and being human is that you tend to, to dwell on things that are not quite so right rather than the 90% of things that are, that, are, that, are, that are doing really well. I'm okay with that. Um, I guess we have a lot of metrics internally that tells us whether we're doing the right thing, you know, uh, our usage stats and, and uh, uh, the engagement in our platform. That, that does tell us a lot. We've got a wonderful community and I'm, and I'm so proud to, you know, every, we share uh, internally on our, uh, our, our Slack communication system you know, whenever we get an email from a customer saying, thank you so much, you've done, you know, you don't know what that's meant for us, typically in, from our support team, um, when we share that around, because that's really important that we that we hear that. Um, and we, we, we hear that, I think we hear that enough. Um, um, you never hear it, you know, as much as you want, but I think we hear that enough that, that, that suggests we're on the right um, pathway. If you love what we do here at Ed Leaders, then please support us by supporting our sponsors. And today's episode sponsor is Veracross. Is your school ready for the modern age? Well, we've got good news for you. Veracross, the leading CIS provider for private and independent schools, is now available in Australia. Trusted by hundreds of schools in more than 30 countries around the world, Veracross is the only 100% cloud-based single record database built exclusively for private and independent schools. It's one system for your entire school. Integrations with popular edtech solutions like Schoolbox, Pixevity, and Digistorm enable seamless workflows and easy-to-access information. Plus, their in-country data center improves network speed and privacy so you can rest easy knowing your school's data is secure and protected with Veracross. Make 2023 the year your school moves to the cloud. To learn more about Veracross, visit veracross.com backslash edleaders that's v-e-r-a-c-r-o-s-s dot com backslash edleaders and it would mean the world to us if you or your school's director of it check them out now back to today's show 
Just on the tech um, issue, I, I'm just sort of reflecting, um, you know, around what we've been sort of talking about and, and you know, that, that 10%, you know, just frustration. Um, and I'm just sort of interested, I, I kind of reflect over the last 25 years in education from the introduction of sort of devices and, and different pieces of tech and authoritative databases and, and then learning management systems like Schoolbox. And I can't help think that over time, our expectations of the perfect product that does everything that we need it to do and to work right on time, you know, every time has just increased um, exponentially. And and I'm just interested in what your thoughts are um, in terms of perhaps what's uh, what's sort of driving that and has driven that over time and and whether or not that actually concept resonates with you. It's an interesting, I'm I'm much the same. Um, I'm much the same. When I open up my uh, laptop, my phone, I just want it to work, right? And if, you know, from my memory, I think Apple were the first, you know, company to, to make that just work, right? Things just work. Uh, you didn't know why, you didn't know how, but you didn't care, uh, and that's okay. I think that's I think that's an expectation we should have in the modern uh, in the modern landscape. Um, it certainly drives us um, to continue to not just build out what we build out, but the quality of what we do. Uh, and you know, we can touch on the privacy and and data sovereignty aspect of that too. But um, but I guess you know the expectation is that it works, and and um, that's fine because um, we have that internally as well. Um, yeah, one product's not going to be able to do everything. And I think the, a key difference between the maturity of the market that we have here, the core market of um, um, private independent sector in Australia, uh, as opposed to or when you compare that to the international sector, uh, we're so much more mature here in Australia with how we use digital technology in schools. We really are. Uh, and most mature schools understand that a best of breed approach is by far the the, the best ecosystem that you're going to create uh, and that they recognize that one product is not going to do everything that you need uh, and so that's sort of you know that's really important to recognize uh, but it also creates a lot of problems too right you know, you have you have providers in the industry, particularly our industry, that just want to be siloed and just want to do what they want to do. They don't want to make any. They don't want to create any open APIs. They don't want people to access the data within those tools. They just want to stick to their what they do and grow, and that's okay. Um, but I guess as we move on, the 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 share culture. Um, of edtech, which is growing and growing, it will be, in my belief, in, in my opinion, the most important aspect to supporting schools. Uh, we've got a very strong partnership approach, and we have to, given that that we are the sort of you know single entry point for uh, teachers, students, and parents into the digital ecosystem, uh, and we have to be uh, very strong on a partnership approach, and and. That be- that becomes very hard when a uh, when a, a partner product that a school wants you to integrate with does similar things, uh, and you have to be okay with um, with uh, taking a backward step in certain functionality because you want you know you want to dominate you know you want the stickiness you want them you want schools to use everything, but it's just not the case, and you need to be okay with that. Uh, and that has to, you know, your motivation has to be that you're going to work with that partner for the for the benefit of the school. 
uh, and there's so many so many providers starting to do that really really well uh, and you know a really great example of that is um, m- many of your listeners won't un- won't know that we actually integrate with canvas one of our one of our biggest competitors in 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 the Australian market um, we integrate with their with their product and they were very open and, and happy for us to do that uh, to make sure that there was a, a stronger ecosystem for Canvas schools that wanted to bring on a, uh, a world-class community portal uh, and to move to a continuous reporting model that Canvas doesn't really support. Uh, and so Canvas were happy to do that and we were happy to give up the notion that we're not going to be the LMS in those schools, but we can provide other things. And so that, in essence, uh, is, I guess, from a, from a provider's perspective, a real key to satisfying the market and and being the, the 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 servant products that we need to be. You've talked there about, I guess, the intricacies of being an edtech product, and I guess having different products for different customers. I'm wondering about, you know, during your journey um, across the last ten years, do you feel like there's some fundamentals to doing business in the education sector that are like key drivers for success? I think there's a bit of a recipe for, for, for providers. And I think, um, you know, having been involved in, in seating and then furniture and now technology, I think there's a really overarching, um, a really overarching theme about that, that can describe the success that I've been a part of. And first and foremost, you know, you have to, you have to be authentic in your approach to serve the industry. If your you know, if your motivation is just to make a quick buck, you won't survive because education is not about that. Um, and I think there's very few providers that um, can attest to that they've done that they've been able to do that. Uh, so you, you need to be in it for the long haul, and you have to you have to have a servant attitude to to schools, not just not just provide a really good product. Um, but I think I believe you need to go beyond that. You need to provide the expertise. You need to provide thought leadership. You need to expose issues uh, in schools that schools didn't know they had. But then you need to be able to solve those issues. I think that is the most powerful um, business model that any company in any industry can have if you if you've done the research if you're you're knowledgeable and have expertise in an area and you can and you can articulate what problems people are having and solve that i think that's i think that is the absolute essence of uh doing really good business particularly in the education sector and Grant, as we sort of round out our conversation around business, it'd be remiss of us not to give our listeners the opportunity to hear actually what Schoolbox is all about um, and, and, and the product um, because there are some, some listeners out there that perhaps don't know. Um, so I'm wondering if, you know, as, as part of this sort of round out of, of the business piece, you could give us like a 90-second pitch uh, about Schoolbox and, um, you know, the, the product. Yeah, sure. Not a problem. Um, there are two real key elements to Schoolbox as a, as a platform, um, and that is learning and community. So we're an all-in-one learning management system, community portal engagement platform, pastoral care uh, system, and we really take a holistic approach to uh, the full journey of a student from K to 12. We're really invested, not just in the secondary school, we're really invested from, from the, the first day that a student 
In fact, even before when the student starts, we want to create, we create a, a really good user experience for new parents that are just about to enter a school, uh, but right through to uh, when a student finishes their uh, educational journey. So we're really invested in that holistic approach. Uh, we're here to serve as a business and as a platform. Uh, those that are at the front line, shaping young people uh, and their journey through their schooling life. And you've talked a little bit off and on about staff. You talked about people and the right people on the bus. I'm wondering uh, if you could share a little bit about your experience in dealing with, you know, the next generation of, of, of team members coming through. And I think in a schooling context, you know, we're coming through the next generation who wants more flexibility uh, in their work life. Um, and that's a real challenge in an education setting. Um, they have different priorities and, you know, they want to be connected to businesses that have strong values like you're talking about. I'm wondering if you could talk about, you know, your experience in dealing with, um, you know, the next generation of, um, of, of, of staff coming through. That's a really interesting question. And we don't necessarily have a specific angle or different experience for perhaps graduates coming through as opposed to someone that might be my age. Um, we really feel that um, you know, flexibility in, in workplace, not just where they work, but when they work, this is something that we've had even before sort of COVID really disrupted most businesses in that hybridity um, model. So we already had that as part of who we are, who we were and what, and what we did because we really realised that to get the most out of people and for people to get the most out of them, they needed to create that that right balance. And so we already, you know, new, new staff coming into the business, we would co-design what that looked like for them from the start. Obviously, there was, there's caveats, right? There, uh, when there's team collaboration, when there's meetings, when there's other important things, you know, there's some fundamentals that need to be covered. But outside of that, um, outside of that, we, we co-design it with each employee and, I guess that's what a 50-year-old parent needs. It's also what a 24-year-old a, a graduate wants and expects coming into, coming into a business. And um, if, 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 they have, you know, if they're having interviews with companies that are a little bit more structured or that, uh, that are, you know, forcing people back to the office or, you know, we, we think we're really, really well-placed. So flexibility is that key. But as I mentioned before, having a greater purpose, doing something that's bigger than us, it really attracts younger people. Younger people, are, are you know, you'll read it everywhere uh, that they're sort of giving up on um, owning a house and they're giving up on many things. But what's key to them is giving back and, and being a, a model citizen and being something, contributing to a higher purpose. And, and so we can articulate that very well. And so I, I think we're satisfying younger people coming into our industry really well. Um, we want to do that. We want to do that more. Uh, I, you know, what I loved hearing, um, even on the way in uh, to the office this morning, uh, is the story around the partnership, that authentic partnership that Cedar College and, and BGC have on, on an early episode of your podcast, that bringing younger people into industry earlier on, um, I think, is the future of education and the future of business um, because I think the gap the gap between um, business and the gap between schooling is getting bigger and bigger every single month uh, and I'm concerned about that uh, and 
um, if there was one thing I could do to change education was is to bring industry in a lot earlier into um, into a, a student's life uh, that perhaps you know early phase of their secondary um, education. And what's interesting um, for me as you've sort of been talking, particularly around the workforce, you know, as, as a business grows and matures in, in sophistication, so is their adaptability around their workforce. And, you know, I can I can also attest to how Schoolbox, um, you know, has, has worked with staff and provided levels of flexibility to work towards people's strengths. I'm also, uh, you know, sort of projecting forward here. You know, as Schoolbox sort of matures, grows and adapts, you know, in, in the next five years, what other hopes and aspirations do you have um, for, for the company? You know, what's what's on your radar? What's next? Yeah, two key things comes to mind. Um, firstly, again, um, people are, are to continue to create incredible pathways for people's career. Uh, we have got, I can share some number of stories where people join the business and they start off in a particular role five or six years later they've done three or four different roles and they've finally landed their perfect role the the, the discipline and the skills that they have um uh, are adding the most value after that because we've partnered with their journey and thought well maybe you could maybe your passion's over here let's try you over here and being flexible to do that and i, I continue to provide those pathways uh, for staff. Um, that really drives me and, and gives me a lot of satisfaction. But in terms of in terms of where we are as a business, you know, being able to scale into those uh, international markets is a, is a real key for us uh, and a real key driver to my motivation and success. Uh, and so there, if we were to look five years down the track and you ask me what success looks like, uh, to be uh, sort of in many of the international schools uh, in those markets, but globally as well, uh, to be able to provide the same experience and to be able to provide the same service that we do here in Australia and New Zealand to, uh, to those other markets. And if we take that one step further and we talk about education more broadly and uh, what a day at school will look like, <clears throat> you know, in 10 or 20 years' time. Um, have you got any thoughts on uh, whether we'll all be in VR headsets or, uh, you know, zooming in all over the world to different schools? Uh, where do you think we'll be in uh, 20 years' time? Yeah, I've got a real cynical view on technology, interestingly, uh, being a CEO of a tech company. Um, <laughs> I've got a strong belief that tech needs to serve and support people and uh, and their needs rather than drive it. Uh, and so, you know, it's really hard to predict what the tech will look like um, uh, in 20 years and, and what the industry will look like. What I'd love to see is schools reflect what a modern workplace looks like. That's what I really want to see. You know, my son's in grade one now and, and my daughter will start next year. And, you know, I, I, I see the classrooms uh, that's uh, yeah, and the schooling that's available now and and I, I, I've got a real healthy respect for it but as I said before I'm a bit concerned uh, because I know the workplace that I go to I know the workplace my wife goes to in uh, at NAB uh, and they the distance between what my our kids experience and what we experience day to day is is a concern for me uh, and I want to be a part of that so you know crystal balling I really would like schooling to reflect what a modern workplace looks like and bricks and mortar are still really important as it is in a in a in a business but that needs to transform to and 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 serve a different purpose and 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 it's starting to but you know um 
I'm not sure how to, to increase the pace of, of that transformation. Um, I'm probably the last person to talk to about that, but um, I certainly have a strong opinion on that. Well, on that note, it brings us to my favourite segment, Grant. Now, as a long-time listener and first-time caller, you'll know that uh, my favourite segment <laughs> is the six in 60 seconds, one word or idea. Now, you would also know that no one actually ever follows the rules, so we'll uh, we'll grade you out a six at the end and see how you did. I will, yeah. Are you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to break the rules. Excellent. <laughs> What's one thing you're most proud of during your career? Oh, the, the, the amount of long-term relationships that I have with previous employees and educators and partners, easily. What's the most underrated role in your business? I wouldn't say role. Uh, I would say um, actions. <laughs> yeah, breaking the rule. I'm breaking the rules. It's it, it, most underrated is when teammates just make stuff happen uh, without asking. The most inspirational speaker you've ever seen. Oh, there's so many. Look, I, I get small chunks of inspiration from every speaker. So I, I'm breaking the rules again. I can't give you one. Um, my philosophy is to uh, get something from everyone. So. Um, so that's how I'm going to answer that question. <laughs> All right. I'm going to change that question a little bit. What's the most interesting PD you've ever done? Learning from other businesses about how they go about and, and, and their philosophies. If you could change one rule or one thing in education or the ed tech industry, what would it be? Bringing industry in, as I said earlier, bringing industry into the education sector um, as a core partner. I think that's a good challenge for Schoolbox yourself. Most definitely. Get more students into the into the fold. Yep. One book worth reading or one person uh, or one uh, podcast uh, the audience should listen to? I want to do both. Um, an old classic, Purple Cow by Seth Godin. I think every educator, every business person needs to read that many times. Excellent. Uh, and look, I can't go past um, from a podcast, and, and I'm a bit biased, James Leckie, our chief product owner, one of the smartest person I've ever met, uh, and a prob- probably the most underrated uh, ed tech influencer, um, certainly in this part of the world. Um, but I've got many, uh, I'll, I'll send you an email, there's Summer Howarth, there's Cleo Westhorpe, there's, uh, you know, Glenn Radojkovic, there's so many that I'd love to hear uh, being a part of it. But I think, I, th- I think you need to turn the tables. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear your personal journeys uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, try to flip flip the tables. Well, we'll try and get through those one by one eventually and uh, we'd love to have James on the show at some point. Um, And lastly, uh, one thing we should do to grow the Ed Leaders community. I think what you're doing is amazing. I really uh, enjoy the balance of what you're doing between educators and industry um, um, and continue that balance. Maybe more international uh, international leaders, uh, Cameron Fox, who you've previously uh, interviewed, I really enjoyed uh, hearing from him, spent a lot of time with him personally. Those sort of journeys are, are, are same, same, but different. Um, and I think your viewers could get lots from that as well. All right. Well, Grant, I'm going to give you, I think, four out of six. I think you did all right today. Well done. So you've, you've got a pass mark. Well, well played. Most I've gotten any tests. I appreciate that. That brings an end to our uh, show for today. I hope you've enjoyed our chat with Grant. Matt, closing comments. I know you've got them. Hit us. Oh, I've got so many comments, uh, but I'll try and keep them to, uh, to, to three. Um, you know, Grant, I love that notion of, of being a servant leader, uh, letting go, and it's not about you. Um, and I, I really felt there was that sense of true empowerment uh, of your people um, through that, that, that lens. 
Um, I love the notion that values really drives recruitment. Um, and sometimes there's some easy no's, but man, so- sometimes there's some some really hard ones. Um, and I love that encouragement for for schools to think about tech in their schools as an ecosystem. Um, there's not one product um, that will fix all their problems. Um, and it's the power of partnerships that will really um, move them forward. Um, and it's okay for it not to be perfect, but it's also... Um, expected that things work um so i think you've given some really good encouragement there for for people on the way they think about tech and for me i really uh, i mean you know we we talked a lot about people and and relationships and you know I i think sometimes we um you know we don't spend enough time on that and kind of putting people and relationships at the center of what we do uh both in an education context um and a business context and it's no different um you know people getting the right people on the bus and i really liked your comment you know attitude over aptitude and i think that lends itself back to kind of matt's comment there around it's not always easy to choose that um when you see someone who's really super talented in doing xyz to go back and go actually do they fit do they fit our culture are they gonna you know be able to kind of get on board with the way we do things and get on board with our values. And I think, you know, making sure that we kind of consider that often enough and that our, you know, employment practices, our recruitment practices place that as a, as a high enough priority. Um, and I like the, you know, that notion of changing that HR functionality to, you know, about people um, and the people experience that, you know, you have coming on board. I think, um I'm not sure all schools, and, and and I think this is probably cross-sectoral, that once you get to a school, you get that maybe one day of orientation, you might get one or two follow-up meetings, you know, for half an hour here, an hour there, and then it's on to your one-year kind of annual reviews. And that notion of what's the journey for a new employee, a new employee to go through um, and, th- and putting some thought into that, I think is, is super important. So, you know, a good takeaway there for me and, and I'm sure for the audience as well. So, Grant, um, thank you for giving up your time today to be on the podcast. Great, great to have you on here. For the audience out there, if they want to connect with you and learn more about what you're up to, what you're doing, where you are, where's the best place to find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, I've sort of retracted a lot of my socials because I just don't have time to, to, to add to all the growing platforms out there. But from a professional perspective, LinkedIn is the, the one platform I've cho- chosen to sort of share what we're doing, share our journey. Uh, and um, um, people can connect me on there or uh, my email address, uh, grant.vandercrock at schoolbox.com.au. And any other closing comments or anything else you'd like to uh, say before we wrap up, Grant? Yeah, um, you, you, you mentioned culture fit before. Um, just, a, you know, we've recently changed our um, sort of wording around that when we think about people uh, because we don't want people to fit our culture because you just replicate the same. We want people to add to the culture. So when we talk about new people, are they a culture add um, or are they not a culture add? So um, we really like that shift in mentality. Um, so I'll leave that with you and your listeners. A great way to uh, end the show. How yeah. does someone add to your culture? I love it. Now, remember, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and please don't forget to share the love and tell a few of your colleagues or maybe the person responsible for your next PD day that perhaps your staff should be listening to an episode of Ed Leaders. As I mentioned at the top of the show, if you're not signed up for the Ed Leaders newsletter, you are missing out. We do publish an issue every two weeks and it's jam-packed with nuggets to level up 
your school leadership game because that's what we're about here at EdLeaders. Check it out at edleaders.com.au for more details. Thanks again to the sponsors of today's show. And we would be grateful if you spent a few minutes going to their website, checking them out as they support us to make this professional learning free for you. You can connect with Ed Leaders and both of us on LinkedIn, where we'll keep you up to date with all the latest. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. Go well.